0: Good evening, everybody. Welcome back to the Mythgard Academy. This is session number four of our discussion of The Moon is a Harsh Mistress by Heinlein. So uh, we left off last time. Um, We spent a lot of our time last time focusing on um, uh, the development of of the relationship of Manny and Mike uh, and how exactly Mike gets into the revolution business. Um, I want to start off looking, uh, well, first of all, Boot. Quick announcement, almost forgot, right? Uh, don't forget, MythMoot is next week. Uh, a week from today, I will be in the car driving down to Leesburg, Virginia, ready for a wonderful corporeal gathering uh, with folks uh, for MythMoot, uh, as well as enjoying the uh, the digital connection with folks who are able to attend that way. So don't forget um, that, um, uh, that we can... Uh, uh, don't forget, you can still sign up uh, for Mythmoot Moot uh, here for this next week. Um, but I hope that you guys will be able to join us. Lots and lots of people there, uh, which are which is going to be great fun. Um, so uh, anyway, okay. Um, <laughs> so let's um, uh, let's get back to uh, our discussion here. So okay, um, we just got to the beginning right we we ended with the turning point of their of, of their careers right the turning point of the entire history of luna uh, which was wyo's suggestion that they ask mike the odds about the success of the revolution. You will recall that Manny was absolutely refusing to have anything to do with it. And uh, Prof, for the pure love of the art of revolution, and Wyo, uh, because of her passionate idealism, were both all in on the revolutionary front, uh, and Manny was not. Um, And thinking thinking about the... um, Thinking about the way in which Manny's relationship changes, one of the things I want to be focusing on today. Um, I'm hoping we will get far enough today uh, to be looking at both how Mike changes over the course of the early stages of the revolution and also how Manny changes. I think there are some really interesting uh, things to be observed there. Um, so this is the first call through to Mike um, from Manny to introduce him to Prof and bring him in on the whole revolution thing So I phoned Hi Mike Hello man, my only male friend Greetings Wyo, my only female friend I heard a third person I conjecture that it may be Professor Bernardo de la Paz Prof looked startled, then delighted I said, too right Mike That's why I called you Professor is not stupid Thank you man, Professor Bernardo de la Paz I am delighted to meet you I am delighted to meet you too sir Prof hesitated, went on. My, Senor Holmes, may I ask you how you knew I was here? I am sorry, sir. I cannot answer. Man, you know my methods. Mike is being crafty, Prof. It involves something he learned doing a confidential job for me. Now, this is a fairly sophisticated joke that, um, uh, that Mike makes. Why does he say to Manny, Why does it say, I'm sorry, sir, I cannot answer. Man, you know my methods. We make sure we unpack what's going on there. I totally missed it the first time. And I thought he was just making a joke. It's a Sherlock Holmes reference, right? Um, That's um, exactly what Holmes says to Watson frequently, right? Uh, When he's urging Watson to try to follow his reasoning, right? You know my methods. Um, uh, And that is Sherlock, not Mycroft's quote, of course. Not that there are very many Mycroft quotes in the entire corpus of Sherlock Holmes, uh, but there it is. Um, but, um, but why does he say this? That is, why will he not, why won't he answer Prof when Prof says, may I ask how you knew that I was here? This is, a th- it's, it's our first introduction to a thing, and Manny doesn't make a big deal of it here but we're going to get it made more of a big deal of just later on in this same chapter. Um, he can't answer this question. He literally means, I cannot answer. Why can't he answer? Because there, the he is going to explain, right? Um, Manny's going to give him permission to explain, and Manny's going to explain some of it himself. But you may remember that he knows... He has deduced that it is Professor De La Paz in the room, largely because of the information that he learned during the closed call that he set up for Mike, and by the terms of the program that that or that for Manny, um, and by the terms of the program that Manny established about the secrecy and the code word and everything, uh, for um, for the information that you know that uh, Mike has, he cannot access that information, and he cannot explain that information. Um, uh, So, but instead of just saying, I cannot answer, like, you know, it is against my programming or something like that, he says, I cannot, I am sorry, sir, I cannot answer. So he first is polite, right, and then speaks the perfect truth and then invites Manny to do what he knows Manny can do that he cannot, which is explain the situation. Right. And he does so by making a fairly sophisticated literary joke about Sherlock Holmes. Right. You know, my methods, Um, which not only makes him seem uh, it not only serves to remind man because Manny does, in fact, know Mike's methods. Right. And by methods, he means programming. Right. Um, and of course, exactly, Chris, as you say, Sherlock is the code word for the this particular program. Right. So uh, by making a show, uh, by doing a Sherlock Holmes quote, right, he's very directly um, prompting Manny, just in case Manny forgot that, like, part of the program that he ran was to seal this into secrecy. Um, so. Uh, it, it's a fairly sophisticated little thing that Mike is doing. And one of the the thing the things that interest me most about that um, are how we can see, on the one hand, we are being reminded that Mike is a computer. Right. Again, this is not like I would prefer not to answer or it makes me uncomfortable to say that this is I cannot do that. I am not programmed to do that, um, which is both. A limitation of Mike, right? He can think for himself, but there are things that he just cannot do. Um, but at the same time, it's also a strength of Mike. Um, as Manny is going to talk about later on, for this reason, and in this way, Mike is in fact actually incapable of being a fake, right? He can't betray them. Um, like, he actually, like, it can't, um, uh, it can't do that. Right. Um, yeah, but, um, but anyway, the, the, the other thing that's interesting about it though, uh, to me is how, cause this isn't, this is a, an, a really important moment for Mike, right? His meeting Wyo was a really important moment. That's the first time he's introduced to anybody apart from Manny, right? So his second encounter with another human being, and especially given that we sort of saw the stakes of that in a sense, Right. You know, Wyo's first reaction was to blow Mike up just because he was a vulnerable spot that would damage the warden, uh, you know, the warden's operations to destroy to which Manny had access. Right. That was her first um, response to discovering, you know, about who Mike was. Um, So there's a little bit of pressure involved in him sort of proving his personhood, in a sense, uh, to Wyo but there is also pressure here with prof now prof is um turns out to be relatively easy to please uh in this way but uh, but nevertheless like i say this is an important point and we can see mike perceiving that right mike is not oblivious to that um and in saying in making the sherlock he's not he's 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 accomplishing several things at once prompting manny just in case Manny has himself forgotten or overlooked the fact, right? Um, And secondly, uh, saving face, essentially, right? Um, That lest um, Prof have the first impression of him as merely, you know, this machine locked in the restrictions of its own circuitry, right? And so instead because um, just think about that, right? Think about the kind, especially if you know Sherlock Holmes, right? If you're familiar with Conan Doyle, um, think about the kind of attitude of Sherlock Holmes when he says that, right? He says it more than once, right? There's there's several occasions in which he says, you know, my methods. Um, but when he says, you know, my, my methods to Dr. Watson, he's generally being that sort of... Um, charming combination of smug and arrogant, uh, that he, you know, uh, that he, that he so often is, uh, to Watson concerning his own abilities. Right. Um, so it's in fact, a way of sort of building him. Mike is, is through this able to sort of building himself up. Right. Instead of making himself look bad by being like, you know, it does not compute. You know, I, I cannot run the program you requested, sir. Like he, you know, he's he he sounds like the instead of sounding like a a very limited machine, he sounds like the genius Sherlock Holmes who is inviting. You know, the mere mortal intellect of Dr. Watson to attempt to follow along uh, in his trail, right? Um, which I so, and, and the fact that he would b- do any of those things. Right, the fact that he would notice, the fact that he would care, the fact that he would be able to circumvent it in this subtle way, while at the same time folding in this like gentle reminder, so as to help Manny save face as well, so that Manny doesn't have to like admit that he forgot and made a mistake. Um, I, I think I find that a really, really fascinating. Um, uh, a really fascinating moment there, uh, and one of the. Sort of early signs of the development of Mike 's sophistication, um, it was all not too long ago in the narrative that Manny referred to uh, Mike It was in fact the night before, right when Manny refers to Mike as a child with a long string of degrees right This is not the way that a child thinks. this is not the the way uh, that a child would act uh, in this kind of in this kind of circumstance. Um, and uh notice how Manny also follows up on that. Mike is being crafty, prof. It involves something he learned doing a confidential job for me. Doing a confidential job for me. Um notice how Manny is avoiding he's he, Mike has been introduced as Manny's friend, right? Um and Manny is avoiding sort of confusion you know, like admitting the way that he and the computer have kind of already been in a conspiracy and stuff. Um, so anyway, it's um, uh, interesting to see his, uh, Manny's own resistance. As we were looking at just in the last slide before we finished last time, um, Manny seems hesitant to reveal Mike's nature, Mike's, uh, Mike's existence uh, to Prof. And that, of course, is something that will uh, sort of change uh, as we move forward. Um, but once they bring him in, Mike is able to calculate things, right? And so the first thing that happens is Wyo and Prof call upon Mike to settle the debate that they were having, having at the um, the meeting, right, um, the, the revolutionist meeting or the... Um, dissenters meeting um, at which uh, Manny and Wyo first met and which precipitates all these events. You will remember that Wyo was saying, um, everything's going to be fine. We just need to join together in solidarity uh, so that we can get a fair market value for our goods at the catapult head, and then we will thrive on Luna. And um, Prof was saying that they need absolute embargo against Luna and not ship anything, especially wheat. Um... Well, anything, including wheat, uh, because they can't if they are sending all of their precious resources downhill uh, and that things are going to go bad on, you know, they're it will mean suffering for their children and, um, de- you know, and uh, uh, devastation for their grandchildren. Um, and so now Mike is going to be telling them which uh, which is. Which is true now of course you will remember that Mike's first responses are premised upon two technological advances right um, everything will be fine once they develop the uh, once they develop the the Technology for transmutation, right? Once you can transmute rock into water or whatever you want, then uh, yeah, there won't be any problems, right? So he he first seems to give an answer that satisfies YO, right? As if he's on YO's side, um, uh, but then it comes around that he's uh, assuming that that uh, is going to be possible, and then even once they say okay, okay n- no transmutation, then. Um, Cheap shipping, in other words, like when it is as cheap to trans to uh, travel up to Luna from Terra against the gravity well um, as it is to go down towards Terra with the gravity well, um, then it will also be pretty easy. And that technological advance is going to come much sooner. But um, Manny's wanting to rule out both of those things. Okay, Mike, no cheap shipping, no transmutation. How long till trouble? Seven years. Seven years? Wyo jumped up, stared at Phone. Mike, honey, you don't mean that. Wyo, he said plaintively, I did my best. The problem has an indeterminately large number of variables. I ran several thousand solutions using many assumptions. The happiest answer came from assuming no increase in tonnage, no increase in lunar population, restriction of births strongly enforced, and a greatly enhanced search for ice in order to maintain the water supply. That gave an answer of slightly over twenty years. All other answers were worse. Wyo, much sobered, said, What happens in seven years? The answer of seven years from now I reached by assuming the present situation. No change in authority policy, and all major variables extrapolated from the empiricals implicit in their past behavior, a conservative answer of highest probability from available data. 2082 is the year I expect food riots. Cannibalism should not occur for at least two years thereafter. And there is the answer. Prof was right, but more than right. In fact, Prof himself did not expect anything like food riots and cannibalism until the time of their grandchildren. Um, and Mike, in fact, who, in his defense, knows a great deal more. Now, Bruce, I think we did know before that it was 2075. Um But this is another one of those reminders that we get. We do get several embedded reminders about the date um, and even about how much time has been passing over the course of the narrative. Um, But yes, this is a little reminder of that. Um, Okay, so Prof didn't have all the data, right? Uh, Mike knows way better than Prof exactly how much is being shipped um, and how much is coming back and all that kind of thing. Um, and what's more, Mike knows about the direction of authority policy, right? So he can calculate not just based on what they have done, um, but on what their policy is to do for the future. Prof probably does not have that information. Um, so, um, uh, yeah yeah now Stephen. It is true that Prof is in fact old enough to have grandchildren already, but that's clearly not the sense in which he meant that um uh when he said our grandchildren collectively to the room uh I think he was clearly meaning you know after, you know in uh you know one to two generations from now is when uh we're gonna hit serious trouble um so this is one of the first serious acts of Mike in support of the revolution, right, is calculating this. And one of the things that we see, again, it's not only his greatly increased ability to run calculations and uh, run projected scenarios and things, but also his additional data as well. He simply has more information. So um, uh, we can already see how useful Mike is becoming, but of course it goes well beyond that. Um And then at the end of the chapter, he calculates the odds of the success of the revolution. This is the big moment, right? For 13 and a half minutes was no sound, while Wyo chewed knuckles. Never known Mike to take so long. Must have consulted every book he ever read and worn edges off of random numbers. Was beginning to believe that he had been overloaded and either burnt out something or gone into cybernetic breakdown that requires computer equivalent of lobotomy to stop oscillations. Finally, he spoke. Manuel, my friend, I am terribly sorry. What's trouble, Mike? I have tried and tried, checked and checked. There is but one chance in seven of winning. And this, of course, is a wonderful moment of irony, right? Um, as Mike thinks this is terrible news, right? But, of course, what we immediately see... I look at Wyo. She looks at me. We laugh. I jump up and yip. Hooray! Wyo starts to cry, throws arms around Prof, kisses him. Mike said plaintively, I do not understand. The chances are seven to one against us, not for us. Wyo stopped slobbering Prof and said, Hear that? Mike said us. He included himself. Of course, Mike Old Caber, we understand. But ever know a loony to refuse to bet when he stood a big fat chance of one in seven? I have known only you three. Not sufficient data for a curve. Well, we're loonies. Loonies bet. Hell, we have to. They shipped us up and bet us we couldn't stay alive. We fooled them. We'll fool them again. Wyo, where's your pouch? Get red hat. Put on Mike. Kiss him. Let's have a drink. One for Mike, too. Want a drink, Mike? Mike completely doesn't understand the celebration, right? Um he believes he's delivering terrible news. You'll remember the number, right? The crucial number. Manny said he would not join a revolution. He would not consider supporting a revolution if they couldn't show him that there was one chance in 10 of their winning. Um, And Mike has calculated... So this is not, you know, it's not like crude approximates. It's not, you know, this. and this is all Manny needs. Manny jumps up and shouts, hooray, Right. He is not, no longer reluctant. He's now enthusiastic. Um, his trust in Mike is complete. Right. He absolutely believes Mike's calculations and completely accepts that and is clearly true to his word. When he said, if you can show me one chance in 10, I'll support it. He meant exactly what he said. Again, a lot like Mike. Right. He uh, when when he says a thing, he, he tends to mean exactly what he says. Um Not always. I mean, it's not that Manny is not uh, it's not possible for him to be uh, 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 to be insincere, but um, or to tell a little white lie, as he says. Um, But um, uh, but he we can see a a sort of a, a really interesting similarity there. I think, again, I've been arguing that Manny is kind of the one who's sort of standing at the the junction, right. Of the, of the human and the computer here. Um, And I think it's really interesting to see him. So on the one hand he's responding, um, you know, he meant what he said very literally exactly like uh, exactly like Mike, but the difference is Mike can't understand this, right? Mike can't understand why one chance in seven is good news. Um, And then there's that gap. Right? Ever know a loony to refuse a bet when he stood a big fat chance of one in seven? I have only I have known only you three. Not sufficient data for a curve. Mike does not know. He doesn't know loonies. Um he knows very little about loonies. Again, um you think about the situation that we've been in, right? And I, you know, especially in the first session when we were looking at as much data as we could put together to try to form a curve of what it means to be a loony and what loony society is about and all that kind of thing. Um, And uh, we see that Mike is in the very same position, quite a deal behind us, actually, so far. Um, We're learning something, but we're learning something right along with... Uh, Right along with Mike. So once again, we see that same kind of really intriguing way uh, in which Heinlein is uh, kind of bringing us as readers uh, into his world building there. Um, Mike is the one who needs it explained to him. And so we are therefore sort of parallel with Mike, which also, of course, kind of leads us to sympathize with him more and personalize him more uh, just in case we as readers are struggling with that um and so i really uh i really i really love that um the gap the 13 and a half minute gap right um and it once again we can see yes why I was chewing her knuckles, right? Yes, there's there's suspense, there's tension in the room, but only Manny understands the full significance of this, right? I mean, that Mike should take, with his computing speed, 13 and a half minutes to make a calculation. Mike's mind is immediate, or sorry, Manny's mind is immediately going through all the things that he must be doing. I mean, to take this long, knowing how fast he can do all the things that he can do, Manny is trying to imagine what on earth Mike must possibly be doing in order to take 13 and a half minutes to do the calculation. Um, and, but the rest of them, uh, the rest of them don't know, right? The rest of them don't understand at all. Um, even though they, so again, once more, we see Manny again in the middle there being our kind of uh, mediator, right, into the computing experience. Um, but of course, Mike, you, you know, one last thing uh, here is that you'll notice that Manny's impulse is immediately to, um, you know, Mike is officially part of the revolution. That's no surprise, but notice the active humanization. Of Mike, right now, he's joking. Um, he knows Mike has no head upon which to put a hat and no lips, uh, and mouth for uh, YO to kiss, um, uh, no stomach into which a drink can go. Um, as Mike immediately points out, that he really wishes he could have a drink, um, as he's been very curious about the subjective uh, effect of ethanol. Um, however, um, you know, Manny, the, 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 the way in which Manny kind of like announces and, and celebrates in this ritual fashion, the kissing, the hatting and kissing, is a ritual thing, right? He underwent that ritual uh, with Wyo the night before. Um, uh, but it's this sort of like ritual welcoming him not only into, uh, uh, into the revolution, but into this sort of official, um, uh, this official public persondom. Right. Um, As well as into the revolution officially. Um, Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Anyway, we. They immediately want to talk about how are we going to fight Terra, Right. And it's interesting because on the one hand, this is exactly why Manuel was so resistant before. Right. We saw that right away in his response to Wyo's speech at the meeting. He was immediately thinking, what on Earth? Like, on Earth, yeah. What about Earth, right? How are you going to... How are we going to fight off the 11 billion people from Terra who have ships and weapons, and we've got neither ships nor weapons, and there are only 5 million of us here uh, on Luna? Like, how is... That's ridiculous. It's not possible, right? That was his primary objection, why it was not even thinkable. Yeah, you resist authority. Yes, you steal from authority. Um, they are a very, you know, being the slave of authority is very unpleasant. Um, and you try to, like, maintain your own, um, uh, you know, your own kind of protected world, sheltered from the authority as much as possible. But, you know, you can't get rid of, there's no means of getting rid of it. And yet now he's the one who doesn't even want to talk about it, doesn't want to think about it, right? Suggests that they put off even discussing it. By which I think that we can see there, I think, a little bit of tension, right? I mean, obviously, logically speaking, if Mike tells has told them, which he has, that they have a one in seven chance of winning, that includes a one in seven chance of beating the authority, right? Of, of defeating Terra when it comes to war. Um, and yet Mike... St- or Manny, sorry, I apologize. With the two names beginning with M, I'm going to do that all the time, and I just hope it's not too confusing and that you'll forgive me when I make mistakes. Um, But um, anyway, Manny is uh, uh, still... There seems to be some tension between his obvious and sincere and absolute trust in Mike's calculation, while at the same time, he seems to not even really believe. I think that's why he wants to delay it, because... He still doesn't really think uh it can happen and the longer they delay thinking about the war effort uh the more uh you know the the, the longer it'll be until he has to kind of face reality there right um and um yeah yeah so um but um prof is uh, relentless Manuel, you asked us to wait while Mike settled your questions. Let's get back to the basic problem. How are we to cope when we find ourselves facing Terra, David facing Goliath? Oh, been hoping that would go away. Mike, you really have ideas? I said I did, man, he answered plaintively. We can throw rocks. Bog's sake, no time for jokes. But man, he protested, we can throw rocks at Terra. We will. I love that line. Um, and I l- absolutely love the way, I mean, that phrase has already been used three times, I think, by my count in the book so far. Maybe twice, but I think three times in the book so far. And every time it's been used, right? What are we going to do? Throw rocks at him? It has been, uh, you know, an expression of the sense of futility, right? Um, that, In fact, I believe that Manny even said it himself about Terra, Right? What are we going to do? Throw rocks at them, Right? Because we have no weapons. They have weapons, and we don't. Um, so the and then um, Jocelyn exactly. Then we get the David and Goliath reference. Right? And of course, how did David defeat Goliath <laughs> by throwing a rock at him? Right? Exactly. Um, so that that you know, Prof's David and Goliath metaphor there, right, is sort of the turning point where it is originally just like an expression of frustrated futility, right? What are we going to do? Throw rocks at him? To it becomes, uh, there's like the seed of the future, right? In this uh, literary metaphor, this biblical metaphor, David facing Goliath. And then Mike turns and absolutely literalizes. This is the second time that Mike has said it, right? The very first time it came up, he said, we can throw rocks at them. And everybody thought, you know, I believe Manny said not funny even once, <laughs> Mike, right, when he said that. Or maybe he said funny once, I'm not sure. But, um, but it was, um, uh, it's, it's um, delightful. Um, <clears throat> it's delightful to see um, the way that they, he, he Manny, thinks that Mike is, is just joking, right? But he's, it's not a joke. He means it quite literally. Um, And yes, very good point. Um, uh, Yes, James uh, Stevens is pointing out um, that exact phrase when Mike had said, uh, remember when the very first time Mike attempts, sorry, Manny attempts to suborn Mike in order to do something illegal, right? With that, that, the, the, setting up a Sherlock call to his home to prevent any locking and tracing uh, on the number. Um, And remember, he asks, can you do this, right? Can you set up a call in this way such that it can't be traced and all that stuff? And you may remember, as James was very smartly remembering, that Mike's response was, I can, I will, right? Um, First, yes, I have, you know, tested it out and I I can confirm that is the thing I... Am, I, I can do and yes I will do it yes I choose to do that and, and we talked about the significance of the separation of those two things yes I can do it yes I will do it I am making the choice to do it um, and James you're right I love the way that that's echoed here we can throw rocks at Terra we will right and here it's not only that I can the I can I will of the the potential exists and I choose to do it but the potential exists and it is going to happen, right? That, because um, he's not choosing for himself. He is foretelling the future, right? He is telling them what they must do. That sentence, we will, is arguably the first piece of leadership that Mike ever offers. Um, if you want to point to a moment when Mike becomes the chairman of the revolution, I think those two words, we will, are kind of it, right? Um, And uh, and once again, seeing him stepping forward, right? It's a really important distinction. Um, As a computer, I have analyzed this and discovered that, uh, that it is possible for me to do that. Right um, now, a normal computer would then remain inert, waiting for you to program it to do that thing that it just figured out. It you know that it concluded by running a you know a system analysis that it can do. Right, but Mike, of course, steps forward in personhood, asserting his volition and says, "I will." Right here, we can. I have assessed the uh, the the options and concluded that this will work, and then. We are going to choose this. I am choosing this on all of our behalfs. right? Um, this is a thing that we are going to do. Um, and uh, I think that's really pretty cool. Um, here's Mike's explanation. Mike reasoned so, what is war? One book defined war as use of force to achieve political result. And force is action of one body on another applied by means of energy. In war, this is done by weapons. Luna had none. But weapons, when Mike examined them as class, turned out to be engines for manipulating energy. And energy, Luna has plenty. Solar flux alone is good for around one kilowatt per square meter of surface at lunar lunar noon. Sun power, though cyclic, is effectively unlimited. Hydrogen fusion power is almost as unlimited and cheaper, once ice is mined. Magnetic pinch bottles set up. Luna has energy, how to use. But Luna also has energy of position. She sits at top of gravity well, 11 kilometers per second deep, and kept from falling in by curb only 2.5 kilometers per second high. Mike knew that curb. Daily he tossed grain freighters over it, let them slide downhill to Terra. Mike had computed what would happen if a freighter grossing 100 tons, or same mass of rock, falls to Terra, unbraked. Kinetic energy as it hits is 6.25 times 10 to the 12th joules, over 6 trillion joules. This converts in split second to heat. Explosion. Big one. Should have been obvious. Look at Luna. What do you see? Thousands on thousands of craters. Places where somebody got playful throwing rocks. Right. Like, right there, right? Um, exactly. Um, the, um... The line of reasoning is what I'm most interested in here, Uh, of course. Now, first of all, notice something. This is uh, coming back. Devorah, I think this was your question last time about uh, Mike's. Manny's audience, right? The narrator's audience for the story. Um, I'm not sure what this tells us about Manny's audience, because there are many places Well, I say many. There are some places where it seems like Manny is trying to convince the reader that this is possible. Right. This is one of those passages I would point to anyway. Um, He wants to make sure that they understand in advance what throwing rocks at the earth is going to mean and what it's going to look like and why it makes sense and how it works. Right. Um, And. He doesn't go too far out of his way to do this. But the reason I find this interesting is that, of course, like, if he's writing to a lunar audience a generation later, say, um, he doesn't... Which, again, is the hint that we get from Sons of Revolution, right, in the first paragraph of the book. Um, If he's writing to the next generation of loonies who have grown up after the revolution, he's not going to have to convince them that throwing rocks at the earth would work. They all, all know this, right? That will have played a prominent role in their history lessons growing up, presumably, right? Now, there's a lot of the backstage stuff, presumably, that they don't know about how the revolution came to be and how they came to, you know, plan to do what they did and stuff. Um, but the mere explanation of but trust me, throwing rocks at the earth would actually have uh, this kind of effect Um, is uh, something, again, that does not seem to me um, that the um, uh, it does not seem to me that the um, um, that the that audience the loony audience would necessarily need Um, Unless we are to imagine, uh, you know, unless we're to imagine that the people who are growing up after the fact are so removed, so far removed uh, from what happened in the revolution that they don't even really know the story at all. Not knowing, do they not know the backstory? Who knows? You know, maybe they've forgotten about it in some sense, right Maybe it's maybe it's something that is now taken so much for granted by Looney's society that he has to explain to them about throwing rocks at the earth. I don't know. Um, um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Um, it is very possible that future loonies have in a sense grown up in a more sheltered way in some ways. I don't know. But, I, but anyway, I just wanted to kind of point out that this, this whole need to explain by Manny is kind of interesting in the context. I don't know, David, what to say about that. David is saying that the conversion um, of this number to megatons seems to be wrong. Um, uh, did Heinlein make a mistake or does Mike or does narrator Manny? Hmm. It can't be Mike. Um, That is to say, it would be... If we were to find a place where Mike was mistaken, especially in something like a a basic physics calculation like this, um, if Manny were prone to... If Mike were prone to such mistakes, um, the revolution would not have gotten very far. Um, And I believe we are expected to believe Manny as well Um, I can't see any I can't see any reason to believe that Heinlein is attempting it's possible right it is possible Um, there are examples of moments um, where I could imagine an author putting in a uh, could have us his first-person narrator give us a miscalculation and hope that we did catch that, right? Or that if we did catch the miscalculation, that we would see see through something about the narrator, right? It's, I, I can definitely imagine that happening. Um, but I don't think... Um, uh, I don't think that that's what's going on. I'd be very surprised if that's what's going on here. Um, I think that... Mike as calculator of of things and Manny as his prophet, right? Manny as the interpreter, uh and spokesperson, uh, and kind of transmitter in some ways of Mike's ideas and explainer of Mike's ideas, um, as he so often is. Um, I I think that both of them, especially Mike, but even Manny, I think, are supposed to be trustworthy. Um, I'd be very surprised. Um Bruce says maybe Heinlein didn't want his readers to try this at home. Yes, exactly. He, I'm sure he did want them not to build their own lunar catapult and, uh, and then throw rocks at the Earth. So let's, uh, let's downplay it or something. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, so... Um, right. Right. Chris was saying that he thinks that this um, passage argues for a mixed audience of loonies and earthworms. Possibly. Possibly. Um, and I agree. Bruce was suggesting it's not all that hard to imagine a f- the next generation of loonies being really sheltered and ignorant about these things. As Bruce points out, As says, my kids have no clue about the Cold War. Um, which is true enough. I've long since given up uh, attempting to try to give my kids any sense of an understanding of what it's like, what it was like to grow up in the Cold War. Right. And yeah, exactly. Um, So David, all this is to say, I, if I had to, if I had to put money on one of those three is the mistake Mike's Manny's or Heinlein's, I'd put my money on Heinlein. Um, Or it's also possible that he's doing like he might be using terms in different ways than we're using, than we use them in. I mean, not, I mean, presumably jewels meant the same thing back then that it does now. Um, but, um, but I even wonder, uh, 100 tons, if the, if what he's, you know, it's, I'm not, I'm not even sure exactly. It's possible, um, that, um, uh, it's possible that, He's, his vocabulary, Heinlein's vocabulary is different from the, from our vocabulary in some ways, but still, it's also possible that he made a mistake. I don't know. Um, that would not shock me or shake my faith in the narrative if that turned out to be true. Um, the overall point I can readily see, uh, which is that throwing large rocks at the earth from the moon would certainly work and have a very significant impact, uh, on the world, um, and um, But I love the reasoning as well, right? Mike's reasoning, which is how Manny presents it. This is Mike's reasoning. Um, and this is what it what it takes. And it's perfectly clear. If Mike didn't think of this, they never would have done. Even though they kept saying, what are we going to do? Throw rocks at him. And even though uh, Prof even took the next step of comparing them to David and Tara to Goliath, I don't think any of them would have thought of throwing rocks um, at the earth. Manny is the one who understands the physics best. And yet even he, when told by Mike, we're going to throw rocks at them, had to have it explained to him before he got it. Um, And Y.O. and Prof would have taken much more than that uh, in order for them to get it and understand what it means. Um, But Mike reasons from scratch. What is war? what are weapons right um, we can see in this way what an advantage his naivete is right Manny doesn't see this because he is sophisticated he understands how war works right you need armies and weapons to wage war obviously right and as far and to wage war or defend yourself from war uh, or you're gonna know, defend yourself in war um, from uh, a um, Essentially, interplanetary enemy um, uh, taking the moon as its own planet since it's declaring independence. Um, then, like you, you need you need ships, you need guns, right? I mean, you, you have to do this. But of course, Mike doesn't start with any of those prejudices. He doesn't start by thinking he knows any of these things, um, and starts from scratch. What is war? Use of force to achieve a political result. What is force? An action of one body on another, applied by means of energy. Um, weapons are engines for manipulating energy, and there are various ways in which energy can be manipulated. And so he, uh, and so he comes back. James, exactly. You could easily say that. Um, um, Luna has the uh, tactical advantage because they have the high ground, right? In a much more pronounced way than perhaps ever in the history of warfare. Um, uh, yes, yes. They, they certainly have higher ground than anyone in the history of, uh, of Terran warfare. Um, so notice how Heinlein demonstrates the strength of Mike's own you know, naivete, his own detachment from hum- all these things that he kind of struggles with because he doesn't have enough data to form a curve to understand how loonies think. Right? Um, here uh, is a really um, uh, is is a uh, uh, a wonderful example of how useful that comes in. Um, we quickly see the first illustration here in chapter eight of the kind of day-to-day advantage of. Mike's working with them, right? Um, This is when uh, Manny is reporting back into Mike that he and YO are going to go to church with Mum and Greg um, when he when he brings her home. As soon as he brings her home, right? Um, Not yet, man. Which church is it? I may have some circuit, pillar of fire, repentance, tabernacle, no reference. Slow to my speed, pal. Meets in West 3 Community Hall, That's south of Station on Ring, about number... I have it. There's a pickup inside for channels and a phone in the corridor outside. I'll keep an ear on both. I don't expect trouble, Mike. It's what Professor said to do. He is reporting now. Do you wish to speak to him? No time. Bye. That set pattern. Always keep touch with Mike. Let him know where you are, where you plan to be. Mike would listen if he had nerve ends there. Discovery I made that morning that Mike could listen at dead phone suggested it. Discovery bothered me. Don't believe in magic. But on thinking, I realized phone could be switched on by central switching system without human intervention, if switching system had volition. Mike had Bolshev volition. I don't actually know what Bolsh Bolshoya Bolshoya bolsh- 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 I don't know where the stress is in that syllable either. Um, my my uh, loony Russian isn't very good probably because my Earth Russian isn't very good either. Um, Several interesting things here. Again, first of all, we can see the advantage right as they are going to discover even more in chapter nine uh when manny gets into it a lot more what a massive advantage it is to have essentially a sentient phone system working on behalf of your conspiracy um remember that this was the the primary thing that prof emphasized the biggest obstacle to um the biggest obstacle to revolutions is sorry, communications, communications, challenges <clears throat> to communications. Um, uh, Bolshoya means big, okay. All right, big or great, excellent, okay. Um, excellent, thank you. Mike had big volition, excellent. Um, uh, so yeah, communications are the big problem. Right. And communications. That's Mike's specialty. Notice this is the first indication that we get, though it's it's quite subtle, um, that Mike can talk to two people at the same time. Right. And not only can he be there at all times, you know, at all time of day to take any call and everything, he is actually speaking with Prof and Manny at the same moment. Um, uh, he is reporting now. Do you wish to speak to him? Right. He could just connect him right there. Um, yeah, yeah, um, and yes, Stephen, um, Prof must have mentioned this. Or remember, they actually sat and talked things out at the end of chapter seven. Um, I think it was chapter seven for like hour, like half a day. They spent uh, sitting and working out all the details and planning the entire revolution. You know, the outline of the whole revolution. So, so yes, it, it was during that time uh, that uh, uh, Professor said to do that. Um, Bolshoya, okay, Bolshoya. All right. Um Oh, hey, uh David Fred Rock paper on Twitch was suggesting maybe it's a, a lunar ton so that it would be 6 times the mass on Earth. Maybe there's there's a conversion factor in there from uh lunar gravity to Earth gravity? Interesting suggestion. I don't know. Um but um uh OK. Anyway. Um, OK. So I, I'm interested in Manny's resistance to Mike's action, right? That there are some things that even he has a hard time adjusting to. Um, discovery bothered me. Don't believe in magic right? It feels like magic to him that a computer could take, like when he picks up the phone and calls Mike, right? That Mike is able to route his call anywhere and do whatever to it. That's he understands all about how that works. Right. But if a circuit's dead, it should be dead. Like it needs to be turned on. You can't, if the phone is hung up, nobody should be able to listen at it. Right. You know, that's, that's, that doesn't make any sense. Um, and, um, Yeah, yeah. Um, Yeah. Um, Anyway, um, so... I think this is an important glimpse because, remember, Manny, of all people, is the one who is going to be least inclined to attribute Mike's actions to magic because he understands them best. Um neither Wyo nor Prof really understands how he's doing a lot of the analysis that he's doing. Um, Manny understands it much better. Um, and yet even Manny, in some moments like this, has a hard time breaking out of like traditional ways of looking at things, right? And, and thinking, um, sort of resisting the thought that uh, what Mike is doing is, is magical uh, in some sense. And I think that that's a, a, a really interesting little reminder um, that Mike does seem magical uh, to everybody. But remember, that's not our, our primary mediator for the story is our narrator, Manny, who, is, does, who knows about it and brings us in on it, right? And yet, to everybody else, Mike seems like a person. Everybody assumes Mike is a person, right? But even more than that, what he can do seems like more than just being a person, it seems like magic as he's able to listen in on conversations from all over the, you know, all over Luna, you know, all at the same time. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. And Chris, you're right. Um, if, uh, With modern smartphones, we would not blink an eye. It would not seem nearly so much like magic to imagine that somebody could just turn our phone connection on and be listening in, right? Um, In fact, (laughs) half of us assume that's happening anyway. Um, But yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, Last thing I want to pick up on before we move on here, though. Um, I love the name of Greg's Church. Let's stop and unpack that for a little bit because I want to make sure that everybody... uh, There's several biblical references all tied in together there and I want to make sure people are getting them because it's really easy to misunderstand pillar of fire repentance tabernacle and I think the revelation of the name in this context um, is significant Um, pillar of fire repentance tabernacle first of all tabernacle what's the reference If we understand that reference, the first reference is easier. What's the tabernacle? Yes, the tabernacle is the worship structure during the 40 years in the desert. Absolutely. So when Moses comes, it's in the Old Testament, when Moses comes down from Mount Sinai with the Ten Commandments, the second time, The first time didn't go so well, long story. But when he comes down the second time, he takes the tabernacle and they build the Ark of the Covenant. Right. And the, the, the tablets of the law are placed in the Ark of the Covenant and the Ark of the Covenant, which is the, the, the glory seat of God, is placed at the center of this worship structure that they build called it. So it's this tent with. And if you want to know exactly how to construct it, you can find that described twice in the second half of the book of Exodus. Um you can know exactly how many badger skins uh, it requires. Um, however, so the tabernacle is the, but this is the really important thing to remember. Um, the tabernacle is not a church. It's not a place primarily where people go to worship. People do go to worship there. But that is not what is important about the tabernacle, nor is it what is important about the temple, uh, the, the Solomon's temple later on. The important thing um, about the tabernacle is that it is the place where God rested, where God dwelt himself. God was there. He was there present in the Holy of Holies. The glory of God was present. It's a really big deal. Uh, If you just waltz into the Holy of Holies, you will drop dead presence of God there in that place. Um, Now, pillar of fire. Tell me about the pillar of fire pillar of fire related to the tabernacle. I don't think Raiders of the Lost Ark will help you with the pillar of fire. It will help you with the Ark of the Covenant, but not so much with the pillar of fire. Um, yes, exactly. It's about God's leadership. So pillar of fire... Um, in the context of the title of Greg's church, Pillar of Fire, Repentance, Tabernacle, might lead you to believe that it's imagining rain of fire, rains of fire, right? Like the destructive force of God descending as on Sodom and Gomorrah, for instance, in the Old Testament. Um, that is not the case. The Pillar of Fire has a completely different function. The Pillar of Fire is how the presence of God was manifested in order to guide the Israelites in their wandering. God appeared above the tabernacle as a pillar of fire by day a pillar uh, a so pillar of fire by night a uh, pillar of uh, of cloud by day um, so the presence of God was visible there above the tabernacle and it was how God guided uh, his people in the wilderness so it's about guidance divine guidance the manifest revelation of god's guidance. And the tabernacle is where that happened. Now, the use of tabernacle as a noun in um, the title of church has some different connotations, right? Different from just the, I mean, it is still a reference uh, to the tabernacle. Um, But anybody ever been to a church, modern church, I mean, that has the word tabernacle in it? Anyone ever been to a repentance tabernacle? Um modern churches that have the word tabernacle in them tend to be um well charismatic is the christian word um lots of uh uh gospel singing and speaking in tongues and uh uh lots of spectacular things happening um Uh, that's what one would normally see. And I believe this was true in the mid sixties as well. Uh, when Heinlein was writing, um, uh, yeah. Um, no, 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 no. I don't mean that the tab, the piece of, um, uh, Eucharistic furniture, Uh, In the Catholic Church. That's a totally that's a totally that wouldn't be because it's not in the name of the like church itself. Right. You wouldn't um, you don't go down to the pillar of fire repentance tabernacle is totally like the title of a church that I might have expected to see on the streets of New York when I lived there. I was I say this because there was a church. Oh, what was the name of it? I forgot the two words that came before tabernacle, but I know tabernacle is the third word um, uh, in uh, the name of that church that was just on the block I lived on in New York when I was at Columbia. Um, and uh, anyway, uh, it was uh, rousing. Uh, you could hear that church two blocks away when it was in session. Um, repentance. What does repentance add? James is wondering what they're repenting. Yeah, yeah. Um, right, repentance means turning from something, turning away from something, um, which I think is actually really interesting uh, in the context of... Um, because, again, so, like, we're given this name. On the one hand, it's a, it's kind of, I mean, I, I, part of the giving of the name of Greg's church, I think, is meant to be comical, a little comical anyway. Um, I mean, I kind of chuckled when he said pillar of fire, repentance, tabernacle. Um, that's not exactly what I expected Greg's church to be called. Uh, and I, I found it a little bit funny. Um, it that was a funny once. Um, but, um, but I don't think it's an accident and I don't think it's an accident that it's introduced in this way. Um, let's, uh, Let's go on and then come back, because I want to talk about the Davis religion anyway. Let's talk about—we'll get what we're told about Greg's church, and then we'll go back and talk about the name again. I assured her we had eaten—this is talking to Mum when they get home—I assured her we had eaten and would make tall effort to be there before she needed to leave. Despite loony mixture of Muslims, Jews, Christians, Buddhists, and 99 other flavors, I suppose Sunday is commonest day for church but greg belongs to sect which had calculated that sundown tuesday to sundown wednesday local time garden of eden zone -2 terra was the sabbath local time garden of eden uh, i love that line so we ate early and so we ate early in terran north hemisphere summer months mum always went to hear greg preach so was not considerate to place duty on her that would clash All of us went occasionally. I managed several times a year because terribly fond of Greg, who taught me one trade and helped me switch to another when I had to, and would gladly have made it his arm rather than mine. But Mum always went. Ritual, not religion. For she admitted to me one night in Pillow Talk that she had no religion with a brand on it, then cautioned me not to tell Greg. I exacted same caution from her. I don't know who is cranking. I'm pleased he doesn't stop. But Greg was Mum's boy husband, opted when she was very young, first wedding after her own, very sentimental about him, would deny fiercely if accused of loving him more than other husbands, yet took his faith when he was ordained and never missed a Tuesday. So we learn a couple things about um, religion in Luna in this section. Right. So this on the one hand, this passage is helpful in our trying to understand the culture of Luna better. Right. Um, we see that there is a wide mixture of people, which is exactly what we would expect. Right. We have seen that uh, Luna is this sort of ultimate melting pot of different cultures and languages and, of course, also religions. Um, so that's certainly nothing that should surprise us, nor is it very surprising to learn both Manny and also Mum's perspective that both of them are sort of resistant to any particular religion. Any more, by the way, than they consider themselves any particular nationality, right? Um, this is connected in some ways, or at least it's parallel to, would be a better way to say it. Parallel to the general lack of patriotism in Luna as well. Um, so, those things are all pretty much exactly what I would have expected, though I would add as a, as, as a sort of side note, um, there's a reason that pillar of fire repentance tabernacle is the official religion of the Davis family. Right. And it's not because they believe in Greg's religion. It's because they love Greg. Um, the love and respect of the other members of their family is like the core religion of the Davis family. Right. So, um, mom is a faithful attendee at Greg's church, listening to his every sermon. Um, not because she believes in it, but because she believes in him. Because she loves him, right? And even Manny, uh, who is co-husband with Greg, um, also loves Greg. Is terribly fond of Greg, and we see why. He is the one who helped him through, who taught him how to be a miner originally, and then helped him to become to learn to become a computer man after his accident. Um, so, um, so yeah, Greg is the preacher in. Uh, um, pill, f- pillar of fire, repentance, tabernacle. Um, so what is it? <laughs> I don't know. Uh, I mean, it's got three, the title has three elements, right? Pillar of fire, repentance, and tabernacle. And of those three elements, two of them are Jewish, right? But one of them Uh, is Christian. The centrality, literal centrality among those three elements of repentance would suggest Christian, right? Is it one? Is it the other? I don't see any reason to believe uh, either one. The fact that their Sabbath is on Tuesday suggests it's obviously not exactly either one. Um, On the one hand, they are keeping a Sabbath like Jews, Right. Like the Jewish Sabbath, even the sundown to sundown Sabbath, which is just like the Jewish Sabbath. So it is like Judaism in that respect. Um, but calculating that uh, the true Sabbath is Tuesday to sundown, Tuesday to Wednesday, local time Garden of Eden Um Okay, that's not like normal Judaism of any of any uh subspecies right um so um that's um yeah, Sarah says she feels a bit squidgy about pillow talk with mum right there with you Sarah never ceases to creep me out. I have to add Sarah as well um they call her Mimi for short, which is like an extra level of creep factor for me because that's my own mother's name to her grandchildren. (laughs) Like all of my, like my kids and my sister's kids and brother's kids all call my mother, Mimi. Um, so like it's already, she is clearly a maternal figure for him. Um, and like both in age gap and in relationship, I mean, their their relationship is extremely mother son relationship in almost every way, except for the fact that they sleep together. Um, so, yeah, like I, I and I, I confessed this back in the first, you know, near the end of the very first class that like um, I can't get over my discomfort with that. But I think that that discomfort is one of the things we're supposed to experience. It's part of the experience of trying to understand loony culture um, and kind of embracing in a sense, the otherness of, of loony culture. Right. I mean, there, I think like an earthworm, but as I said, it, um, uh, it's <laughs> for me, it's like, they got this extra level of weirdness uh, is that like, just in case, like I, Might have been able to get over uh, thinking of her as uh, as his uh, as his mom, even if, you know, he didn't call her mum, which like (laughs) would have already made it hard for me to get over that. Um, uh, Calling her Mimi just does me in completely. Um, But. um, Yeah, yeah. So. um, Oh, Jocelyn, yeah, opted. So she opted. That's that means she opted into the uh, she opted into the family. Um, she married in to the family. So to be opted or, uh, to, or to opt in is to be, and of course it's, it's a mutual opting. Um, she opted when she was very young. Um, but you have to be opted like, as we'll see later on, we'll see the marriage process later on. So I won't, you know, talk about it now. We'll get there. Um, but The opting has to be mutual. They have to want to join. They have to request to join. And then they have to be, you know, chosen and allowed to join. Um, It's a democratic process. Um, So. So, yes, that's um, they. uh, And they use that in lots of ways. Right. Exactly. Bruce, Manny was opted into the revolution by Wyo. Wyo informed him you're opted. Right. Um, And so we can see that in some context in which that's... Sometimes it's used to say, like, I chose to enter, I signed up, right? Um, but sometimes opted means I was drafted, right? Like, it was chosen for me, um, and I was brought in. Um, and there seems to be, sometimes, I think, a kind of tension in the use of that word. Um, it's uh, it's kind of interesting, um, actually. Um, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, Right. Michelle sort of says she was sort of assuming, at least in this instance, that they're only sleeping together in the sense they're both in the, on the same bed. Michelle, I guess I would say. You can think that if it brings you comfort, but I don't think so. They're husband and wife, um, their husband and wife. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I. Again. I'm not trying to defend it. I'm not trying to defend it. And I am freely confessing uh, my own personal uh, discom- discomfort with it. Squidgy is a really good word, Sarah, uh, for that. Um, it's, yeah, yeah. And by the way, hi, Sarah. I haven't seen you in ages. Uh, <laughs> good to see you again. I um, hope, to, hope to be able to, you, you'll be able to make it to a moot sometime soon. It'd be great to connect with you again. Um, but um, anyway, um, Okay. So, yes. And I, Mike on YouTube, I agree. I, I suspect also that Greg's church is a bit of a quirky sect. I think that that's one of the things that Manny is conveying, basically. That it's a little idiosyncratic. Um, uh, the whole true Sabbath calculation and all that kind of thing. Um, yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, and yes, Bruce, the difference in the marriage forms the significant difference in the marriage forms right, um, and the way that those have developed on Luna. Um, also, in this context, right, helps to sort of remind us that even though there is clearly influence, and we can most clearly see the influence of uh, Jewish and Christian beliefs, but others too, um, within the context of uh, of Luni culture, um, nevertheless, there are lots of differences, right? Um, which is why I'm pretty sure that that line about um, God fighting on the side of the, with, the, with the heaviest artillery is probably a joke but I can't be hundred percent sure uh, that he's not he does not have a Bible that actually says that. Um, Ellen is asking, do I think it's quirky even on Luna or do I think that all churches on Luna are like a, are a mashup like the language? I think that all churches on Luna are likely some form of mashup, like the language. I think there would—my suspicion is that there are probably not very many churches on Luna um, which would be considered, like, pure examples of that religion by, uh, you know, current earthworm standards. Um, but, yes, I do suspect that even on Luna, Greg's sect um, is a little quirky. yes. Yes. Um, But back to the name, Pillar of Fire, Repentance, Tabernacle. I don't want to read too much into it, but I think it's a really interesting choice, and I can't think that it is for nothing. I mean, there are any number of things he could have just chucked out there, but I think that Heinlein is too careful, and I've seen too much evidence elsewhere in the text, of really careful construction of this story to believe that he just chucked that name out with no thought at all. Right. Um, Pillar of fire. Guidance in the wilderness. Guidance by night in the wilderness. Right. With The benighted people receiving supernatural guidance through the wilderness. Right. Um, And again, when are we told this? You know, when Mike reveals that he can be everywhere and hear everything. Right. The extent to which Mike And again, right in the same context when Manuel is saying, I don't believe in magic, right? Um, There is a gentle sort of parallel, I think, that is being established between Mike and God, right? Think about the phone setup that Manny sets up in his room. Remember how it works, right? Right. In the quiet and privacy of his own room, when he locks his door and goes where no one else can hear him, he calls out to Mike and Mike answers. All he has to do is just call Mike's name and Mike is there with him, right? Where two or three of them are gathered together, there is Mike in the midst of them. I'm just saying there are some gentle parallels here between Mike and God. um, And even the repentance thing. um, uh uh even the repentance thing is um uh, interesting in the loony context right in the context of revolution. there are things that they like you know things need to change right um This uh, this call for repentance, this call for a turning around uh, as a society is something that's also kind of happening. Yes, Ray, exactly. Um, It is a true deus ex machina. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, Yeah. James was thinking the same thing. Yeah. So my kind of is um, uh, a deus ex machina. And James, I agree that the pillar if the the pillar of fire was the guide by night. uh, So it's a very appropriate for a church on the moon. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, yes, um, yes, yes, um, yeah. And Chris, yeah, no question. Like I, I, I've read enough Heinlein to know well that Heinlein has, as you say, a rather unique relationship with churches. Yeah, I know. I know. Um, uh, I'm just thinking about the name here and I don't, I I don't think it's, um, um, I don't think yeah arthur if if this is sounding to you like a place where you know there might be revival preaching, yeah, that's exactly the kind of church that i th- at least whose name it sort of recalls yes, and I agree, yes, that Heinlein did certainly seem to be resistant to that kind of church and that kind of preaching uh, in many of his other uh, uh, works but um yes, yes, um. Agreed. Um, so anyway, like it, it, Heinlein is playing with various things here. The thing that I wanted to emphasize though, is this rough kind of parallel that it seems to me that his choice of imagery there in the title, I don't think it's a mere mashup. Uh, Mike on YouTube was just saying that, um, you know, if, uh if if he called it something like you know saint Muhammad's word of power synagogue or something like that it would be more it would seem more just like a comical mashup of different religions right um yes but it it doesn't feel like that at all this sounds almost plausible like i said if i if i were to um be walking around somewhere in new york city and find a a a a, a street front church called Pillar of Fire, Repentance, Tabernacle, I would not bat an eye. Um, it's a perfectly plausible. and It's not just a mashup. Um, but anyway, so I, the parallel that I think, um, and you're right, it is definitely not the Fosterite Church of the New Revelation. Agreed, agreed to refer to another Heinlein book. Yes. Um, anyway, so I just wanted to point to the kind of parallel here. Um, and I'm not, you know, obviously he's not saying that Mike is God, but that Mike is playing this sort of Almost divine role, you know that Mike is going to be like the one who is leading the people um, out of the wilderness. Um, uh, I, I think I think that's not an accident, is all I'm saying. OK. but speaking of mum and pillow talk, instead of saying good night, Mum said, "Manuel, why does your sweet little guest make herself up as an afro?" I would think that her natural coloration would be more becoming. Not that she isn't perfectly charming the way she chooses to be. So rolled over and faced her, and explained. Sounded thin, so filled in. And found self-telling all, except one point. Mike. I included Mike, but not as computer. Instead, as a man, Mum was not likely to meet, for security reasons. But telling Mum, taking her into my subcell, should say, to become leader of own cell in turn, taking Mum into conspiracy was not case of husband who can't keep from blurting everything to his wife— at most was hasty, but was best time if she was to be told. Mum was smart. Also able executive. Running big family without bearing teeth requires that. Was respected among farm families and throughout Luna City. She had been up longer than 90%. She could help. Um, His sharing with mum, right? And then I want to immediately go on to her response. She listened, sighed, said, "'It sounds dangerous, dear.' "'Is,' I said. "'Look, Mimi, if you don't want to tackle, say so. "'Then forget what I've told.' "'Manuel, don't even say that. "'You are my husband, dear. "'I took you for better, for worse, "'and your wish is my command.' "'My word, what a lie. "'But Mimi believed it.' "'I would not let you go into danger alone,' "'she went on. "'And besides?' "'What, Mimi?' "'I think every loony dreams of the day "'when we will be free.' all but some poor spineless rats. I've never talked about it. There seemed to be no point, and it's necessary to look up, not down, lift one's burden and go ahead. But I thank dear Bog that I have been permitted to live to see the time come, if indeed it has. He... This is, I think, a a really important moment, not only sort of personally for Manuel, but I think it's a really... This is a really important setup for what is to come. Um, Because... We we see here the honest reaction of an intelligent and thoroughly acculturated Looney, right? As he had just said in the previous passage, she had been up longer than 90% of the people in on Luna, right? You never know how many people in Luna have been there for how long, right? Some of them might have only been there for two years or something. Um, they could be very recent convicts. So... um, but she's been there for a very long time. Manny considers himself a thoroughly, um, you know, grounded loony. But she's even more in touch with loony culture, right? More so, we're we're getting a real kind of native loony, loony response to somebody who is not Manuel um, or you know outside of the executive cell. And how is she going to react? What does the loony on the street? What would they really think about this? And her, her sentiment, right? Which, as we said, is not um, is not uh, patriotism, right? Um, we're going to come to that in just a moment. Um, but every loony dreams of the day when we will be free. Um, she's never talked about it, right? Because it doesn't bear talking about it. She's a realist, too. Um, uh, it's necessary to look up, not down. Um, So she's never talked about it. She never dwells upon their lack of freedom uh, and how bad things are. Instead, they make the best of what they have. But um, I thank dear Bog that I have been permitted to live to see the time come, if indeed it has. Um, And that sentiment is a very religious sentiment, even though she is not religious, right? Um, I thank dear Bog. Um, And remember, as we said, Bog is is clearly the... um, the name that they use the like personal name, whenever they're speaking in this kind of a, a genuinely devotional way. in, in, in some sense, um, even when they're swearing, even when they're, you know, uh, swearing by the name of God, they, um, they call him bog. Um, though they may use, um, uh, they may use, um, God, uh, in other contexts. Now, uh, sorry, Mike was asking if uh, Mike on YouTube was asking if Mike is a, a Moses figure. No, I think that Moses is I think that Mike is a God figure. I think that Manny is the Moses figure. Um, yes, I think that Manny is the 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 sort of the representative. Right. Maybe. Maybe his cybernetic arm is the sort of parallel to uh the glow of the lord in moses' face i don't know but um but I think that if there's a Moses figure i, I would say that it's manny not uh, um not Mike um, yeah exactly James goes to special tent and speaks to god uh check um exactly goes into the holy of holies and speaks to 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 uh to to Mike as one speaks to one's friend face to face. Yeah. uh Uh-huh. Exactly. That's it. That's Manny all over, isn't it? Yeah. And, and sorry, for those of you who don't know, I'm, I'm, uh, paraphrasing, uh, uh, Deuteronomy passages when I'm describing this, that's things that were said of Moses, uh, in his relationship to God. Um, yeah. Let my loonies go. That's exactly it. That's exactly it. Um, yes, yes. Um, Yes, Chris, you are right that there will be ways in which Prof uh, is like Moses as well later on. Uh, yes, uh, re- remember that one. That's an important parallel later on. The Exodus, I mean, there's another reason why I think it's important. And, uh, you know, Mike, I'm really glad you brought up uh, Moses there um, because um, um, I, I do think that the Exodus, there are a couple ways in which I think there's, a um, that's kind of lurking in the background. Um, uh, the, you know, freedom uh, from slaves and against oppressors. Um, there's a lot of Old Testament in this book. Um, I mean, we've already seen it in the pillar of fire and the tabernacle and then the David and Goliath, right? Um, both in the uh, the 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 setting the loonies free from the control of the warden you know warden being the warden you know Mort the wart being like Pharaoh uh, and you know authority in general you know being like e- the authority being like Egypt um, and uh, uh, and then of course we're we're gonna get the David and Goliath parts right uh, later on um, yeah yeah um, Good. Yeah. A couple of you were talking about uh, how um, uh, Manny also, like Moses, was an, is not a good speaker uh, as well. Also true. Also true. Bruce theorizes that perhaps Prof is more like Aaron, uh, who becomes the high priest. Right. Um, maybe. Maybe. Um, yeah. But anyway, um, uh, we'll, um, we'll I just I just. It's, it's worth noting. Glad it came up because I think it's, I do think it's worth noting. Um, but as I said, the other reason that I wanted to emphasize um, the reaction of Mum here, the, the sort of the warm and heartfelt reaction of Mum, um, is that I think it's important to remember that when we see how they begin actually to carry on the revolution. Um Manny explains how they have to make—they're trying to make things worse for everybody. Yes, worse. Never was a time, even at last, when all loonies wanted to throw off authority, wanted it bad enough to revolt. All loonies despised Warden and cheated authority. Didn't mean they were ready to fight and die. If you had mentioned patriotism to a loony, he would have stared, or thought you were talking about his homeland— were transported Frenchmen whose hearts belonged to La Belle Petrie, ex-Germans loyal to Vaterland, Ruskies who still loved Holy Mother Russia. But Luna? Luna was the rock, place of exile, not thing to love. We were as non-political a people as history ever produced. I know, I was as numb to politics as any until circumstances pitched me into it. Wyoming was in it because she hated authority for a personal reason. Prof, because he despised all authority in a detached intellectual fashion. Mike, because he was a bored and lonely machine and was for him only game in town. You could not have accused us of patriotism. I came closest because I was third generation with total lack of affection for any place on Terra, had been there, disliked it, and despised earthworms. Made me more patriotic than most. This is the backdrop, right? They cannot Rally the people to fight for Luna. Um, what they feel that they have to do, their only route, their best route, right? Because remember, remember that the 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 underlying reality of the revolution is that their plans are based on Mike's calculations of what will most effectively bring about a successful revolution. And there's gonna be issues with this, right? When you approach revolution that way. Well, you just might have means versus ends problems at some point, right? Um, because Mike is not basing his calculation on what might be the right thing to do. Mike is basing his calculation on what will most effectively bring about the ends that they are seeking. That Those are the parameters of his formula right those are the parameters of his calculation um and we see right away um uh we see right away that there is um there are problems here so they cannot make a positive appeal to the people of luna what they have to do is work to make the people of luna more and more unhappy until they're ready to revolt, they have to deceive the people of Luna. They have to discomfort the people of Luna, and we can see again. There's 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 tension here, right? Um, let's look at a few things. Look at um, uh, example of law enforcement in Luna. Uh, this is right after they the day after they require passports, which is a bit unheard of for travel in Luna. Was a trooper at tube station south that morning, dressed in bodyguard yellow rather than regimental, and looking like he hated it, and us. I was not going anywhere. I hung back and watched. Len capsule was announced. Crowd of thirty-odd headed for gate. Gospodine Yellowjacket demanded passport of first to reach it. Looney stopped to argue. Second one pushed past. Guard turned and yelled. Three or four more shoved past. Guard reached for sidearm. Somebody grabbed his elbow. Gun went off. Not a laser. A slug gun. Noisy. Slug hit decking and went whee wee hoo off somewhere. I faded back. One man hurt. That guard. When first press of passengers had gone down ramp, he was on deck, not moving. Nobody paid attention. They walked around or stepped over, except one woman carrying a baby, who stopped, kicked him carefully in face, then went down ramp. He may have been dead already, didn't wait to see understand body stayed there till re- till relief arrived. And by the way, the way that Heinlein phrased that delightfully makes it sound like it's the baby who stopped and kicked him carefully in the face. Uh, carrying a baby who stopped, kicked him carefully in face? I'm just saying. You could uh, you could say that Manny's phrasing there makes it sound like it's the baby who's doing the kicking. And in a sense, it might as well be. Um, but, um, uh, anyway, um, what do we see? Wait, this both shows us kind of the reality of what they have to work with in Luna, right? Uh, the reality of life in Luna. We've seen how ready loonies are to kill people, right? Um, lynching is a frequent occurrence, um, in Luna. Um, and when this guard starts to act up and demand to see their passports and pulls out his gun, they just, um, they they beat him to death on the spot, right? Um, so on the one hand, we can see that this is a, a, a there are a lot of things that like, when they're trying to foment revolution, they have a lot to work with here in the act of resentment against the authority as illustrated by the, uh, either the woman or the baby uh, kicking the dead guard carefully in the face uh, as they're walking by. Um, But, uh, but, but more importantly, this sort of resistance to authority, um, the whole, like the, the whole, the concept of submission to authority appears to be alien uh, to the people of Luna. And that's, a good thing, but also you notice what the situation requires, right? In order for them, that is the re- the revolution um, the the revolutionaries to step things up, to get things to a point where um, there are going to be there's going to be an uprising across Luna. This is what it means to make things worse. Right. Not just creating situations where individual yellow jackets are going to get killed, um, which presumably none of the revolutionaries would mourn that much. Um, But they're going to have to put people in. They're going to have to make people's lives worse. Um, They're going to have to put people in danger. And as we see in the description, as things escalate more and more times, people there's collateral damage. People are dying. People are being killed by the guards. Um, And they have to not only take advantage of those situations, but be perfectly fine manufacturing those situations, even knowing that they're going to end up, this is how it's going to work out, a whole bunch of uh, loonies are going to end up getting killed. Um, And they have to be okay creating these situations. Um, I'm going to read this passage and then I'll give you a quiz. This is about their funding. I can't describe jiggery-pokery Mike used to balance his books while keeping thousands of thefts from showing. So remember, he had just described how they funded their organization, or at least how they funded the Catapult, um, by taking advantage of the fact that Mike runs the bookkeeping for almost all the banks on Luna. So they... um, They have somebody open an account and then transfer money to another account. And every time there are bookkeeping errors, right? There are errors in their favor constantly. Um, And Mike, since Mike is the one who's keeping all the books, nobody notices or cares, right? But bear in mind that an auditor must assume that machines are honest. He will make test runs to check that machines are working correctly. But will not occur to him that tests prove nothing because machine itself is dishonest. Mike's thefts were never large enough to disturb economy. Like half-liter of blood, amount was too small to hurt donor. I can't make up mind who lost. Money was swapped around so many ways. But scheme troubled me. I was brought up to be honest, except with authority. Prof claimed that what, that what was taking place was a mild inflation offset by fact that we plowed money back in but I should remember that Mike had records and all could be restored after revolution with ease since we would no longer be bled in much larger amounts by authority. I told conscience to go to sleep. Was pipsqueak compared to swindles by every government throughout history in financing every war? And is not revolution a war? Now, here's my quiz. What was Prof's first question to Mike when he was trying to figure out, or Manuel, what was Prof's first question to Manny when he was trying to ascertain by Socratic method what Manny's political uh, philosophy was? Manny didn't answer. Manny was talking about the Yankees instead, right? Do you remember his question, his first question? It was on a slide we did last time. Anybody remember Prof's question? The question that he said that he thought was the core question. Yes, Stephen Keane, you've got it. Um, is it moral? For, are are there any things that it is moral for a group of people to perform um, that would not be moral for an individual to perform? I don't remember the exact phrasing either, but it was it was it was it was that question, right? If a thing is not moral for an individual does that mean it's not moral for a group of people to do um yeah yeah um we immediately see that question coming into play and we see Manny's own conscience being pricked on this point i was brought up to be honest except with authority he says right cheating the authority obviously right Um, but, but he was brought up to be honest and Manny doesn't understand what's going on. Like somebody is presumably getting screwed here. Right. I mean, if, if Mike is balancing the books, I mean, on the one hand, sure. The money is just account numbers, right? I mean, it's just, it's just numbers in a digital file. So, you know, saying like, Oh, like how much money do you actually have? Well, it's more than you think it is. Like, it's easy to say like, well, that's not real money. It's just, he's just changing the numbers, right? But he still has to balance the books at the end. So if there's money going in to their accounts, the money has to come from somewhere or else, you know, and Mike can figure out how to make it balanced so that the auditors aren't going to throw a fit about it. Um, But he has this sense. um, uh, There we go. Thank you, Bruce. Bruce was... uh, Quoting it exactly. Um, Under what circumstances is it moral for a group to do that which is not moral for a member of that group to do alone? Thanks for finding the, the wording there, Bruce. Under what circumstances is it moral for a group to do that which is not moral for a member of that group to do alone? Manny is uncomfortable because even if the cause is good, right, right? Even if the circumstances might say it's okay for you to steal from your neighbor in order to do this good thing, right, to help overthrow the authority, his conscience is pricking him. He was brought up to be honest, right? He does not feel that, it would, that it's right to steal from others in order to fund the revolution. Um, and he can't help but think, at the end of the day, stealing is exactly what they're doing here. This is, not, this is not honest. Now, he has several rationalizations. He tells his conscience to go to sleep. I told conscience to go to sleep. One of my questions is, to what degree is that sentence applicable throughout the revolutionary process? How profound a slumber must Manny, in the end, put his conscience into in order to achieve the revolution? Prof's question never got answered. Under what circumstances is it moral for a group to do that, which it is which is not moral for a member of that group to do alone? Manny didn't answer that question. Instead, Manny is living out that question throughout the revolutionary stages, right? And he's telling his conscience to go to sleep. That is not the same as answering the question, right? Um, He is not simply saying, under the revolutionary circumstances, right? This is for the greater good. He could say that, but he's not saying that. Um, he rationalizes it by saying anything that we're doing wrong is pipsqueak compared to swindles by every government throughout history and financing war. And is not revolution a war? We're funding a war, and so therefore we're at least as justified everybody else did worse, so like even if it's bad, it's okay, Manny, right? I hear you, but um and then prof has his own rationalization, right? First, what, we're take, what all that is taking place is a mild inflation. So n- no person is being harmed by this theft. No individual is being harmed by it. It's just a mild inflation we're inflicting on the economy, and we're offsetting that inflation, so it's fine. But I would suspect that even Prof doesn't fully believe that because he goes a step further. But I should remember that Mike had records, and all could be restored after revolution. With ease. Since we would no longer be bled in much larger amounts by authority. Oh, but after the revolution, we'll have the money to pay everybody back for... So it's okay. It's okay to steal from people now, because we'll be able to pay them back later. Easy. No problem. And we'll keep careful records of everything we've stolen from everybody, so that we can give it back later on. Now, wonderful. Wonderful. Great to hear, but that's a rationalization, right? And I think we can see both Prof and Manny kind of struggling with this, right? Um, And, um, yeah, yeah. Um, I'm not, I, I I don't want anybody to misunderstand me. I am not trying to build an argument that says Heinlein is arguing that the revolution was wrong and we should feel really bad about it. Right. And we should disapprove. He's giving us signals like to disapprove of it. Right. I'm not saying that that's what Heinlein is arguing at all. All I'm saying is I think that this is a question we're supposed to be asking. And I think what Heinlein has done has created a really, really interesting situation, right? Again, the question never significantly never got answered, right? It's like Prof, prof asked the question, but when he made Prof ask the question, it's like Heinlein has thrown out this discussion question, right? Um, and, and then he doesn't resolve it, but instead just plays it out, right? What about these circumstances? What about this? What about these circumstances? Well, what about now? And Manny's the extent to which Manny is himself not noncommittal, right? He is aware of this and bothered in his own conscience enough to keep it a question that we're asking, right? And yet, he is not, um, he is distant enough. From that moral, it doesn't really bother him, um, uh, so that it's you know it's not something that gets like really forced on us all the time. Um, but um, yeah, now Devorah, you may be right. Devorah says she doesn't think Prof's actually bothered by it, but he knows Manny is, and so he wants him to feel better. Right? So you're saying that 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 um, the we can give everything back thing is not Prof's own rationalization, but a rationalization he's doing on Manny's behalf. Um, Yeah, I can I can understand that. I can understand that. Um, Yeah, yeah. Um, Yeah. Mike on YouTube, I I could imagine him saying something along the lines of um, revolutions raise, uh, you know, uh, unsolvable uh, questions and math that doesn't add up. Um, Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Ryan is talking about how good Heinlein is at admitting moral complications. Um, yes, yes. Um, and I think this is one that he really leaves unresolved, um, raises the issue, shows how people, different people are kind of handling it in different ways. Um, but um, but really, I think kind of uh, kind of kind of leaves it. Um, Stephen says, I'm bothered by Prof's claims of supporting anarchy and freedom, but practicing so much manipulation and directing of others. Yeah, no, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, uh, does this make Prof a hypocrite or? Uh, yeah. How does that? How does that work? How do Prof's own principles? I, we'll come back to this on several occasions. This will get interesting at several points later on. Um but I just wanted to draw attention to this because to me, this is one of the things I think Heinlein sets it up with that question, the the big question which Prof points to as like, this is the core of political philosophy, right? Your belief about this, And we never hear what it is. Um, so I think that it's it's a question that really looms and is going to loom more and more uh, throughout the entire the entire thing. Um, uh, okay. Just, just about done. Actually, nah. Let's be done. Let's end with that. Let's end with that observation, and then we'll 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 come back. We'll continue next time. So, all right. Here's what I want to do. Um, we're we're not meeting next week because next week I will be either in Leesburg by now or still in a car on the way to Leesburg. So we won't have class next week. Um, we will be doing our next discussion two weeks from today. Let's read through the end of book one. So that's through chapter 13. So three more chapters. Read three more chapters. I don't have any illusions that we're going to actually discuss them all uh, next time. Um, We might take two more sessions until we kind of catch up with all that. But... um, but let's see how we do for next time. There's plenty of time anyway between now and then to read three more chapters, so let's do that. read read through the end of book one and then we'll see how close we get next time. if maybe we'll have no extra reading next after next session. maybe we can start off with uh book two. we'll see we'll see how it goes. But anyway, that's um that's the story. um So I will see some of you guys next week at Mythmoot, uh, either corporally or digitally. Looking forward to both. Uh, So uh, many thanks for... uh, I'm just so excited about that. Um, Looking forward to that. For those of you whom I won't see uh, in or around Mythmoot one way or the other, I will see you guys in two weeks as we continue our discussion. Thanks very much, everybody. Good night now.